Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. We are starting a brand new series today, a new series entitled People Who Push Your Buttons, okay? Uh, We have all had people like that in our life, and arguably those people who push your buttons are the hardest to love in all of your life. They are the people who, if you're a Christian, they are the hardest to be Christ-like around. They are probably some of the biggest challenges, biggest projects God will ever put into your life that he's teaching you enormous things through it, even though it's painful lessons, but you're learning a lot through that. So who do we mean when we're talking about people who push your buttons? These are the people we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. We're talking about critical people, hypocritical people, manipulative people, and overly needy people. Okay, these are the people we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks because they are such a challenge in our life. As a matter of fact, it could be argued that there aren't any bigger challenges than that. Um, And now, loss and different things come uh, to us that are huge challenges, but many times the challenges that we have persistent, ongoing, are people in our life that we live with, we work around, that we... um, that we are roommates with, that we just, we're going to have them around us. So it's, it is incumbent upon us to learn how, how do we handle that? How do we grow? What does God want to do through that? And over the last 15 years of pastoring Brazos Fellowship, I can't say that I've become an expert at what we're going to talk about today, because today we're going to start with critical people. But I have dealt with an awful lot of critique and criticism that has come in, especially in the early days here at Brazos Fellowship, because when Leslie and I moved to town to, to start the church, we didn't know anybody. We were fresh out of town. We, didn't, we weren't started by a local sponsoring church, so we didn't have people that were like, yeah, we endorse you, we're, we, we know you. Nobody knew us. So when we moved in, there was lots of questions, lots of uncertainty and unknown stuff about us. So everything was sort of questioned and lots of critique of everything from, why do y'all do music like that? And why don't you have more ministries? Early on, we really had adult worship and just a little bit of child care because that's all we could staff. We just didn't have many people. We didn't have even a youth ministry for years and years later. And, and people would like, why don't you have? And why don't you have? Well, we just aren't, we haven't grown to the place where we can do that yet. And I remember one of the questions I would get early on too is, are you guys a cult, right? And of course I would say, no, we're not a cult. And the response would be, that's exactly what someone who's starting a cult would say. You know, so it's really hard to win that one. Anyway, but we all have had criticism at times. We've all had people who critique us and maybe you got people in your family or that you work around you've got good friends or other people that you kind of always run pins and needles when you're around them because you know you hardly ever look good enough for them you, you haven't achieved enough you're not spiritual enough for them and it always feels a little tenuous around them and if you have somebody like that in your life let me just say you are in good company Because some of the biggest personalities in all of the Bible have had to deal with criticism. 
Let me start with Moses. Moses was criticized by his own siblings, Aaron and Miriam, for his wife over in Numbers chapter 12 because she was a, a Cushite, of course. You know, you just can't hardly stand those Cushites. If you ever had somebody in your family criticize your spouse, just know that Moses would say, I feel you, all right? I feel your pain. I've had the same thing happen. Maybe you didn't know that about Moses, but it's true. And we get to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who's written such a huge chunk of the New Testament, used by God in so many different ways, was criticized for not being a very good speaker, a very good communicator. Now, whether or not he was a good communicator, we don't know for sure, but one thing we can know with quite a bit of certainty was that he was long-winded, okay? That he liked to speak a long time. There's this one funny story over in Acts chapter 20 where he comes to this, the city of Troas. He's gonna be with them for a short period of time. So he gathers up all of the Christian believers there. They're in this room in this building up on the third floor, okay? And it's into the evening. He starts to teach and the, the, the scripture says that he teaches on and on into the night. And like a little past midnight, there's this teenage boy named Eutychus. He's sitting over in the windowsill, right? This is back when, before there was actual windows in the window. It was just a cutout in the wall, right? He's sitting there, and he's trying to pay attention. Like he's maybe 14 years old. And he's trying, and his eyes are getting heavier, and heavier, and he falls asleep, guys. He falls out the window, three stories down, hits the ground. Somebody comes over, checks Eutychus, they're like, the boy's dead, he's dead. The Bible study killed him, right, you know? And so <laughs> the ball comes down, he picks the boy up, we're told he embraces him, he resurrects. Everybody's like, yeah, Eutychus is back. This is awesome. It's great. Not such bad news we have to bring to his mother now. All right, they go back to the third floor, and we're told Paul continues to teach until dawn all night long. All night long. That is a long sermon. Now, I am sure in 15 years I have put some people to sleep in a few of my sermons, but to my knowledge, I've not killed anybody, okay? Let's don't start today. Everybody in the balcony, be careful. Stay back from the edge. Okay. Um, but yeah, this was a criticism that came to Paul. And when we come to Jesus himself, Jesus was criticized. He was criticized for eating with sinners. He was given the, the badge of friend of sinners. He was criticized for healing on the Sabbath day. And so many criticisms that came Jesus' way showing us that criticism is just a part of life. It's something we all are going to deal with. We're all going to have to be able to handle. And it's important for us to take a look at what does God want us to do with criticism. Now, before we dive into how to deal with unjust criticism that comes our way, let's talk about just criticism for just a minute. Because I, it's so important that we don't miss the value of constructive criticism. Because we're all going to get that at some time. And we need that. As a matter of fact, we need it so much, it is a big part of our culture here at Brazos Fellowship, even on our staff. We ask for it, we, we, we offer it, it's speaking the truth in love, we want to be careful how we communicate it, we're not trying to be harsh and tear people down, we want to build them up, we want to encourage, and we want to help each other get better, and to sharpen the, the blade and not hurt people's 
you know, in the process and that kind of thing, but it's so important that we continue to do that. It's something that I personally ask for on a regular basis as well. As a matter of fact, every sermon I preach for years and years and years, there may have been a small gap way back at the very beginning when I didn't ask for it, but I get critiqued on every sermon. I have a a uh, constructive criticism meeting where I, you know, we sit down and we talk about, hey, that joke wasn't funny. You know, like that point wasn't clear or that just doesn't make sense. This needs to change or whatever. Or like, you know, just, I need the feedback because to me, I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. It makes complete sense to me, but I'm not you guys. So it's important to hear back from staff members and other people. And so that is so incredibly helpful to me. But if I can be really honest, one of the hardest parts of those meetings, and I kind of hate to admit this, is trying to get Will's ego and pride out of the way. Because I worked really hard on these things. And when I get critiqued, it makes me want to defend and no, you know, like, and I have to work really hard to not let that become an issue for me. And I bet you have to struggle with it too. That's one of the hardest things about constructive criticism is that we don't want to hear it. It stinks a little bit. It's hard. It's hard to hear. But it's so important to our growth and our understanding and our wisdom as individuals and as children of God. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 31, I love this beautiful insight here that we're given by Solomon. If you listen to, let's say this highlighted stuff together, if you would, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will learn to be home. Where are you going to be at home? You're going to be at home uh, among the, the wise, right? He is a wise man. She is a wise woman. You want good advice? Go talk to her. Go talk to him. How do people get wise? He's showing us. They ask for, they listen to constructive criticism, right? He goes on to say, if you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to, let's say together, listen to correction, you will grow in understanding. You will come to know yourself better. It is so important that you really understand who you, you need to know your strengths and your weaknesses. You need to know, hey, I'm just not very good at that. So I need to humble myself enough to say, I need some help and stop acting like I got it so together, I don't need any help, and I can do everything myself, which is absolutely a lie. (laughs) But we have to come to an understanding, and that is so important. It only comes through constructive criticism. It comes through correction and being able to say, I'm strong at this, I'm weak at that. I need to hear some feedback. I need to know where I need to get better and to ask for it, listen to it, and stop pushing back on it. Because wherever you're pushing back on it, and we're going to talk about how to d- determine the difference, to distinguish the difference between just and unjust in a little bit, but where you're pushing back on it might be the limitation to your spiritual growth. You're just not willing to embrace and own and listen to the correction that you so desperately need to actually continue to grow. So it's important. Let me give you a couple of questions to ask when you do get constructive criticism. Is there any truth to what they're saying? Okay. And secondly, is there something to be learned from what they're saying? Always ask that. Now, I used to kind of include, when I would talk to people about this, also consider the source, which I still don't think is a bad thing to do. Although, if I could be really honest, in my own life, I've had a few times where I've had some sources that I would say were immature, 
uneducated, didn't really know what they were talking about, but what they said was true. (laughs) And I needed to listen to it. Maybe they were really young and they were inexperienced, but what they were saying to me was actually right on. They saw something that other people either didn't see or weren't willing to say, and I needed to hear it. And so there are times where we just need to say, what can I learn from this? What is the truth about? Sift through what's being said. So incredibly important. Okay, so as we move forward this morning, I want to give you three prayers that you can pray when dealing with criticism. And here's why. Because criticism is the kind of thing you and I need God's help with. It's not something we can just coast on, that we can just hope for the best on. We need divine intervention and divine help because it is one of the toughest, most challenging, hard things to hear from other people who genuinely love us and are trying to challenge us in areas we need to grow in, but we're like, "Mm, no, I don't want to hear that. So how do we proceed forward? Sometimes the Feedback is not always just. It isn't always accurate, too. So we'll talk about that as well as we go. So here's the first prayer request. It's asking God, God, help me to know when to respond to criticism. Now, notice I said respond and not react. To respond means to prayerfully consider, discern the words that are about to come out of your mouth. Really think about the impact of what you're about to say. So incredibly important. It's not reacting. It's just spewing your emotions and your visceral, just like in the moment kind of response, a reaction to what they're saying. That's, that's the difference. And we have so many people today, let me just say as a warning, that do this incorrectly. When you are trying to respond to a personal, individual critique of you, criticism of you, do not do it on a public forum. Don't get on social media and try to respond to an individual or a group of people. It doesn't work. I'm just telling you, I can save you a lot of time. It's the difference between talking at people and sitting down and talking with a person. When you talk with a person, it means that you're going to listen to them. You know, James tells us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. The old adage, there's a reason why God gave us two of these and one of these. We need to do a lot more of this. Listen and then speak. Seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Well, I just need to make my point, tell you what I think and what I... No, 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 slow down. Let's sit down and let's talk with a person. If what you're going to share on social media isn't something that you would literally sit down eyeball to eyeball across a table with someone that you're willing to sit down with for an hour or two in kindness and in love and communicate, then don't write it because it's not going to help. It's only going to create more animosity and digging in and hatred and just vitriol that's coming from both sides slow down now there's a time when this happened to the apostle peter in the new testament i want to tell you this this incredible story that happened to him over in acts chapter 11 where he was attacked like this and and how he responded was so genius but let me just set it up real quick so this was back the early days of the new testament church before there was 
Christians that weren't already Jews. They, all the Christians that were in the New Testament church up to this point were all former Jews that had been converted to Christianity. Okay, And to their minds, uh, these Jewish minds, they felt like that's all that you could be. Like that was the only, Jesus was a Jew, we're Jews, and now we're Christians. And like that's just the way it works and that's what God wants. But God's about to blow their mind and completely change the whole game. While all of this was going on, Peter gets a message from God that tells him, I want you to go to this Gentile's house, this non-Jew. And I want you to share the message of Jesus Christ with him. And that's what he did. This Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius, he shares the gospel, and Cornelius becomes a Christian. His whole family becomes a Christian. And it says that Peter literally witnesses the Holy Spirit descend down on these people. And it blows his mind. He didn't even know there was a category for this. He didn't even know this was possible. And he witnesses it. Now, word of all of these Gentile Christians being converted now has made its way back to the epicenter of Christianity at the time, which was Jerusalem. It was where the apostles and the disciples that were still alive were living at the time. And they were pretty irate about what they were hearing. So we pick this up in Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what was said. It says, soon the news reached the apostles and other believers that in Judea that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers, let's say it together, what did they do? They criticized him. Ouch. Okay, so it goes on to say, you entered the home? I mean, they're outraged. Like, there's no hello. Hey, you doing, Peter? It's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. No, you entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them? Like, how dare you? Are you kidding me? Those defiled, like, second-class citizen Gentiles, you're spending, you should not give them the time of day, right? That's what they said. Then Peter told them exactly what happened. So Peter says, wait, let's just back up. You need to know, I was in this city named Joppa, not too far away from Caesarea. And I was visiting a friend there. And I was up on the roof of the house. It was about midday, and I'm praying. And I get this vision from God. It's incredible. Heaven opens up, and there's this thing that I could only estimate is it kind of looks like a giant sheet with four corners. And it lowers down from heaven, and it has every four-legged animal in the world on it. It has all the birds. It has even reptiles on it, everything. And it comes down like this, and God says, Peter, go kill and eat. Now, in Peter's formerly Jewish mind, all these animals, or the vast majority of them, were off limits. He was not, according to Old Testament, Old Covenant law, that he was not supposed to eat. And he said, of course not, Lord. I would never defile myself and eat something unclean. And then God spoke to him in verse 9 and told him this. But the voice from heaven spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. And he says, and listen guys, this vision didn't happen once. It happened three times in a row, identically the same every single time. And I'm sitting there after all of this and my mind is kind of blown and I'm like, what does this mean? And then all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. And there's these three men. And they come to the door, 
And they said, we've been sent by the house of Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion that lives down here in Caesarea on the beach. And he has been given a vision by God. Actually, it was a, an angel came in his house and said, you need to hear the message that I have given my servant Paul. So send one of your servants over to Joppa and get him. So that's why we're here. And then Paul says, I was a little worried to go with three guys I just met. But God gave me a piece and just said, don't worry, go with them. So Paul just, for backup, he brings six other guys with him, which that's not a bad idea. And he happens to have the six guys standing with him as he's telling the story in Jerusalem. Also, good idea to have some witnesses, right? So he's got these six guys with him. He goes with the three guys. They go to Caesarea. They get to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is excited. Like, I mean, he has got people like oodles and gobs, like all of his family, all of his friends, like the house is packed, and he is a wealthy, powerful man, so he's got a big house. You got all these people in there, and it's like a giant party going on, and Peter walks in like, wow, instant church. This is kind of exciting. All these people are here, and they're like, we hear you have a message about how to have eternal life, and Share it with us, please. And so Peter's like, wow. You talk about teeing up the ball and just swing, right? Like, this is easy. And he shares the message of Jesus, that Jesus was God's son, came to earth, died for the sins of all people, resurrected from the dead so that you could be set free and know God personally, cleansed of your sin, child of God, if you place your faith in him. And Peter says, and I kid you not, the Holy Spirit comes down on that place. And it changes them. Everybody. Unbelievable. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And, and, and here's what he says. Beautiful how he wraps up as he's talking to them. Next verse here. He says, and since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to stand in God's way? Look, you can't argue with the life change. Look what God's done. I couldn't stand in God's way. When the others heard this, they stopped, let's say it together, they stopped objecting, which is another word for they stopped criticizing, and they began, let's say it together, they began praising God. They began praising God. And here's how it wraps up. They said, we can See, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. I can see. Thank you, Peter, for opening our eyes. God did it through you, but helping us to see what we couldn't see before. It's beautiful. Peter had every right when he walked in there to say, you bunch of self-righteous jerks. Are you really kidding me right now that you think Christianity is only for the Jews? Are you kidding me? He could have said that. It would have been true, actually. But he didn't. He slowed down, and he responded with humility, grace, and kindness. It, it reminds me of what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, I am praying that God would open the eyes of your heart, that you would see, maybe for the first time, what you cannot see, that you would see the hope that we profess, that you would see this God who is indescribable in his power and his love for you. He is crazy about you. You are special to him. And he 
loves you dearly. You are holy, chosen people, dearly loved of God. You need to know this. And most people, I know that in theory, but do I own that? Not really. He's like, I, I want your eyes to be open so you see God is that good. He's got this for everybody. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's invited. Beautiful. You see what Peter did? Beautiful example he set for us. A humble response diffuses anger. A humble response. He had every right to be angry. They, they were bringing the anger at him, clearly. But he responds with humility and gentleness. Proverbs 15.1 says it this way. A, let's say it together. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words makes tempers flare. You know, you can speak the truth to somebody in anger, and even people who are yearning for that truth will turn away. No, thank you. I don't want it. You're angry. You're bitter. You're resentful. You, you, you seem like you've got a, a beef with some. I, I, just, I don't want to be around that. They're deflected by that. It, it pushes people away. But when we come with kindness, speaking the truth in love, there is understanding, there's healing, there's, there's this power that happens through that. And this is the way Jesus brought the truth as well. Here's the next prayer. Prayer to pray when dealing with criticism. Number two, God help me to know when to dismiss invalid criticism. Help me to know when to dismiss invalid criticism. Now can I just, I want to just confess something to you right now. And it's hard to say, but over the last 15 years, I have struggled with criticism. I have personally held on to it too long, given it too much energy, too much of my time. Criticism about me personally, about the church, about my family, you name it. And, and I just wanted to win people over. If I could just have some time, if I could... If I could send one more email that would convince them that our, what we're doing is biblical, it's right, it's correct. It's, if I could just win them over, then it'd be great. And we're all in unison. <laughs> I had to come to a realization that's just not possible sometimes. Some people, it's just not gonna happen. As a matter of fact, Jesus shows us there are times when we really don't even need a response. Sometimes you don't need to respond. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, I love how Peter describes this moment of Jesus leading to the cross. He says, and when they hurled their insults at him, him being Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges, judges justly. He entrusted himself to his heavenly Father and into his hands. In other words, he took the opinions of people and he intentionally placed them under the opinions of his Father. And he's saying, I'm going to let God judge justly. He's the one that knows me. You know, I have to ask the question, because I know probably some of you in here are saying, well, I, I struggle with criticism too. I, I have a hard time letting it go. I, I, have a hard, I keep mulling it over. I keep marinating on it, and I don't like that, but it happens. You know why you and I con continue to worry about people's criticism? Because we have placed people's opinion above God's opinion. 
And I just want so bad for you today, and for me too, to continue to do this. This is something I've committed to, to commit today that no longer live in this prison cell of other people's opinion dictating to me and you whether we're okay, whether we're good, whether this life's okay. It's just such a horrible way to continue to try to live. It's so important for you and I to begin to give that over to the Lord. In other words, putting it this way, becoming preoccupied with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget about what God thinks about you and about me. But to take time every day to be reminded, God, you love me. You love me so much that Jesus was willing to die for me. That I am your child. I'm holy in your eyes because of what Jesus did for me. I I am dearly loved. You lavish your compassion on me and your kindness on me and your gentleness on me and your forgiveness and your patience and your mercy on me. I didn't deserve any of that. You give all of that freely to me. Now I get to offer that to other people. And part of the problem that for many people they discredit themselves from doing anything for God or for seeing that God really wants to use your life to make an incredible difference in this world because they listen to the critique and criticism and opinion of other people over God's opinion of you. It will cause you to say, nope, not even going to try. I'm backing away, not even going to step in, not even going to engage. I'm not going to even give it a, a moment's thought because of all these years of criticisms that I carry around all the time. I'm telling you, that is a burden that God never intended for you to drag through this life. They are manacles. They are a prison sentence that can be dropped today and given over to God. And here's the last prayer I want to encourage you to pray today. It's simply saying this. It's saying, God, help me to overcome my own critical nature. My own critical nature. In other words, you and I have the capacity, which we certainly have done this before. We're the people who push buttons sometimes in other people's lives. We critique critique other people. We're overly critical at times. We're the ones who critique other people to make ourselves feel good because there's something in us we're not real happy with. And I hate to admit it, but I've had those moments too. I bet you have as well. In whatever industry you're in, you tend to critique other people who do what you do because they don't do it as well as you think you do it. I have in ugly moments critiqued other pastors and other ministries. I hate that. And I've asked for God's forgiveness. I don't want to live like that anymore. I, I hope that you don't either, that whether you're a, a teacher today, you're a physician, you're a, a police officer, you're a, a stay-at-home mom, we all tend to look at other people and say, they aren't doing it quite right. And it's usually because of something in us that we don't like in us. And we gotta own that. And when we are critical, we carry that critical nature, whether it's towards ourselves or other people, it pushes people away. I had a lady share with me a while back years ago now, and she shared with me that she grew up in a home where her mother was overly critical towards her, but even more, more importantly, she was critical towards herself. Her mother was critical towards her own self. That She said, I looked up to my mother. My mother was beautiful. I, like, she was my like, role model. 
but she would always put down her appearance. She would always put down her performance. She was never good enough. She was never good enough. And then she said, it made me where I didn't feel like I could ever be honest to share with her any of my struggles, my wounds, my weaknesses, because my mom didn't think she was ever good enough. So it put distance between us. And years and years and years have gone by. And now this lady is a mom of girls. And she says, I pray all the time I won't do this to my girls. That I won't do to them that kind of critical nature that pushes them away and hurts them. She says, even as an adult now, I still feel very far away from my mother because of her critical nature. We are not close like we, we could be. And my prayer for you today is you would really examine your own heart to see where is that happening in your life too. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise, what do they do? They bring healing. They bring healing. Those cutting remarks can be towards us, can be towards other people. But many times the reason that we critique, the way we criticize, it's really showing forth this insecurity, this pride, this sin in our own hearts that we need to confess and ask for God's help on and to be willing to lay it down and say, God, I don't want to live like that anymore. I want you to guide me. I want to know who you say that I am. I want you to define for me who I am. And when you begin to understand, you come closer to God, you begin to understand who he says you are and how much he loves you. You don't need to tear other people down anymore to make you feel good. You, don't, you, you, have to, you can stop that. You're free from it. Like the prison door opens and you can leave and you don't have, have to ever come back ever again. And let me tell you, for some people, that is a game changer. It is such a huge weight lifted off. It is what Jesus was talking about when I have come to bring you the easy yoke. Life shouldn't be crippling in its weight. The gospel should give you an exhale. Oh, finally. It should give you rest, refreshment. And I want to encourage you today to begin to build people up in love, not tear them down in criticism. Ephesians 4.15 tells us this. Instead, speak the, let's say it together, the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. But it is in speaking the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. It brings healing. It brings understanding. It brings wisdom to our life. You see, criticism, we're not going to criticize our way to a better life. We're not going to criticize our way to a better marriage, criticize our way to better behaving children. We're not going to criticize our way to a better you. That's just not going to happen. It's learning how to speak the truth in love even to yourself, to speak it to other people, to let God's truth become the truth, the truth, your measuring stick for your life, that God wants his truth to be the thing that heals you and brings wholeness and wisdom. Here's the, the prayer of application I'm asking you to pray with me today. is simply saying, Jesus, please forgive me of my critical nature. It hurts people and pushes them away. When unjust criticism comes my way, help me to be more concerned with what you think of me than anyone else else.
Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.